Hello, I'm Sam Lawton, a barrister at 10 Old Square Chambers, and today I'm going to be looking at the case of Howe against Gossip, a recent decision of Mr Justice Snowden in the Chantry Division sitting in Leeds, which he delivered on the 19th of March of this year. The decision is the latest instalment in a number of decisions dating back some 20 years or so, to do with the interrelation between Section 2 of the Law of Property Miscellaneous Provisions Act 1989 and the equitable principles of proprietary estoppel. Before summarising the essential facts of the case, it's worth reminding ourselves of the background to this particular problem. It was more than 30 years ago now that the 1989 Act was passed, and in particular bringing in Section 2, which provided, so far as is important for this case, as follows. A contract for the sale or other disposition of an interest in land can only be made in writing. The section goes on to set out that that writing should be signed by both parties in one or more documents. The effect of Section 2 is therefore to declare void any agreement for the acquisition of an interest in land that does not comply with the formalities prescribed. This was a new piece of legislation replacing uh, a rather different procedures that previously held. There is however an exception provided in the statute at subsection 5 and the exception is that it doesn't apply to resulting implied or constructive trusts. However there is no such specific reference to proprietary estoppel as being within the exceptions. The resulting implied or constructive trusts exception therefore means that those trusts may come into existence without compliance with the formalities of needing signed writing. The problem which the courts have been grappling with for the last few years is therefore whether or not a claim or a defence in proprietary estoppel is barred in any way or affected by the necessity to comply with Section 2. The essential starting point for this particular series of decisions and arguments is the decision of the House of Lords in Cobb against Yeomans Row Management Limited, 2008, 1 Weekly Law Reports 1752, and in particular the obiter remarks of Lord Scott in that case. He was of the view, at least at that stage, that, quotes, proprietary estoppel cannot be prayed in aid in order to render enforceable an agreement that statute has declared to be void. He went on, the proposition that an owner of land can be estopped from asserting that an agreement is void for want of compliance with the requirements of a section is, in my opinion, unacceptable. Equity can surely not contradict the statute. These remarks of Lord Scott have since been discussed at Supreme Court and Court of Appeal level in a number of decisions, but none of those decisions has finally nailed the real question of whether or not Section 2 can defeat a proprietary estoppel claim. Let us therefore turn back to the essential background facts in our case of Howe and Gossip. The appellants owned a large amount of land in North Lincolnshire. They sold a part of it to the respondents at a previous transfer in 2011 for use as a dwelling house. There was then a meeting a year or so later and an oral agreement or arrangement was reached by which 
the respondents proposed that the appellants transfer them a further portion of land next to the house in return for the waiver of a particular debt of £7,000. And on the basis of that agreement, which as I say was only oral, the respondents prepared the green land, as it was called in the judgment, for use as a garden, digging, clearing, planting and so on. Relations later broke down and the appellants, Mr and Mrs Howe, sought possession of the green land from the respondents. The county court judge held that an estoppel arose on the basis of the agreement to be given effect in the following way, as if the appellants had granted a licence to the respondents over the green land, which was irrevocable whilst at least one of them remained alive and continued to own the house. That was the decision that was appealed to Mr Justice Snowden in the Chancery Division. The essential basis for the county court judge's decision was set out in the following way. He said, I can find no basis for concluding that Mr and Mrs Gossip, the respondents, could not reasonably believe that the assurance that they were given could not seriously be relied upon. Furthermore, the county court judge found that the work that the respondents did on the land was carried out pursuant to the assurances they had been given. It's important to note that the appeal to the Chancery judge did not involve an appeal on the facts and therefore the essential factual findings of the judge were not in issue on the appeal. It's important to remind ourselves of the essential elements of proprietary estoppel, which are usually taken from the judgment of Lord Walker in Thorner against Major 2009, 1 Weekly Law Report 776. He said that proprietary estoppel is based on three main elements, a representation or assurance made by A to B, reliance on it by B, and detriment to B in consequence of his reasonable reliance. And that was certainly the analysis that was agreed in Howe and Gossip. In various academic circles, proprietary estoppel has been broken down into various kinds or strands, and the particular strand that this case fell into was the promise-based strand. In other words, the relevant estoppel was not said to have resulted from the respondents having acted in a mistaken belief as to their rights, or a mistake of fact or fact and law on the basis of a representation. What was alleged in this case was that Mr and Mrs Gossip reasonably relied to their detriment on a promise made to them by Mr and Mrs Howe. And it's because of this reference to a promise that brings in the question of whether or not Section 2 is relevant, because, of course, that also deals with promises in the context of contracts. The promise-based strand of proprietary estoppel was set out in Snell's Equity at paragraph 12036 as follows where A makes a promise that B has or will acquire a right in relation to A's property, and B, reasonably believing that the promise was seriously intended as a promise on which B could rely, adopts a particular course of conduct in reliance on the promise. If, as a result of that course of conduct, B would then suffer a detriment, were A to be wholly free to renege on that promise, A comes under a liability to ensure that B suffers no detriment. So that sets out the lie of the land so far as proprietary estoppel is concerned. The first and main issue which Mr Justice Snowden therefore was asked to deal with 
was the relevance of section 2, as I mentioned earlier. And he set out, firstly, Lord Scott's obiter dictum in the Cobb case. However, he went on to refer to parts of the Thorner and Majors case, and in particular the words of Lord Newberger at paragraph 99. Lord Newberger said that, quote, at least as at present advised, I do not consider that section 2 has any impact on a claim such as the present, which is a straightforward estoppel claim without any contractual connection. Mr Justice Snowden in How and Gossip commented that the instant case fell between the two factual extremes of Cobb on the one hand and Thorner on the other. It was not a case of an informal family relationship, as in Thorner, where the uncle and nephew in question would never have thought it necessary to have a formal contract between them. However, it was also not a case such as Cobb, which involved parties who were experienced in commercial property transactions. After referring to relevant extracts from Snell's Equity and McGarry and Wade, Mr Justice Snowden concluded that Section 2 is aimed solely at problems in the formation of contracts for the sale of land, whereas the purpose of an estoppel is to remedy unconscionability in the assertion of strict legal rights. He went on to say that there is considerable doubt that Section 2 is intended to affect the operation of proprietary estoppel at all, but even if it did, Section 2 could only operate as a bar to the grant of equitable relief if and to the extent that such relief had the effect of enforcing or otherwise giving effect to the terms of a contract for the sale or other disposition of an interest in land that the statute renders invalid and unenforceable. So, for example, in the Cobb case, the claimant there was in effect attempting to use proprietary estoppel to obtain an order enforcing the terms of an unwritten contract, which was forbidden under the statute. On the other hand, where the alleged proprietary estoppel is not raised in order to enforce the terms of a contract for sale, there is no reason why Section 2 should operate as a bar to the grant of equitable relief. Turning back to the facts and the way that the How and Gossip case was pleaded, the judge emphasised that the respondents, Mr and Mrs Gossip, were not asserting a proprietary estoppel in an attempt to enforce the oral agreement that had been reached, Rather, they raised it in order to defeat the claim for possession against them by the appellants. The respondents were not seeking an order for the sale of the land to themselves. Their pleaded case was that the equity which they contended had arisen operated to prevent the appellants, Mr and Mrs Howe, seeking to assert their legal right to possession, and the equity should be given effect by a declaration that they be entitled to a licence to occupy the land for their lives until they sold the main property. In summary, therefore, on the section 2 point, it appears that, as so often, it all depends on the facts, and that certainly in the majority of cases, it would appear that section 2 is unlikely to have an effect on a proprietary estoppel claim or a defence. In conclusion, therefore, Mr Justice Snowden agreed with the trial judge that the basis for the equitable relief granted was not the enforcement of the agreement by the transfer of land to the respondents, the unconscionability related to the promise made to the respondents, upon which they had relied to their detriment in improving the land, and that estoppel prevented the appellants from claiming possession of the green land. Furthermore, while the respondents had sought to have the agreement reduced to writing after the meeting, 
the judge had rightly held, there was nothing inconsistent in a party seeking to have an agreement for sale of land reduced to writing so that it could be enforced, and, when that was refused, seeking to contend that an equity had arisen at an earlier stage. The key question for establishing the equity was whether, at the time a party had acted to their detriment, they had reasonably believed that the other person's promise was seriously intended as a promise on which they could rely. The case of Howen Gossip is useful in that it traces the history of this particular issue and seeks to provide an answer, at least to a particular set of factual circumstances. The problem remains, however, that the statute and the higher courts have not finally determined the extent to which proprietary estoppel and Section 2 intertwine. It's worth pointing out, as Snell does at 12.046, that there are no examples in the case law of an otherwise valid proprietary estoppel claim failing simply because of the effect of Section 2. Furthermore, it's clear that the Law Commission, which drew up the original 1989 Act on the basis of a report, never intended it to have any effect on proprietary estoppel. Nonetheless, it would be useful for all concerned, and the courts and the parties, if Section 2 more clearly explained, perhaps in subsection 5 by amendment, that it would have no effect on proprietary estoppel claims or defences. In the meantime, it still appears to be open to parties to follow Lord Scott's dictum in particular circumstances of contractual disputes over land, or non-contractual disputes as they usually are, to argue that Section 2 can still stand as a bar to a proprietary estoppel claim or defence, but probably at most only in very commercial circumstances. Mm -hmm.